1: Welcome to Bible
0: Study, presented by Bishop James Long and sponsored by the United States Old Catholic Church. And now your host, Bishop James Long.
1: You know, and then uh, happy everybody, everybody. So, uh, by the way, I've got to do something very quickly. Let me open it up on Facebook because you know I always go through this every time. Uh, but I got to open it up so everybody can know uh, that we are here. Last time I did a presentation, last time I did a presentation, I forgot. No, I don't want to do that. Um, I forgot to unmute the the speaker thing for thirty minutes. It was uh, left. Uh, uh, people are like, I can't, I can't hear, I can't hear. Well, that's why i forgot to unmute the button um okay so now i think there we go now we're good to go yeah we have to do that every every time on on facebook i i can't change it i've tried to change it a million times they just won't let me do it i don't know why uh all right everybody welcome to uh welcome to sunday bible study so that's what we're doing today everybody sunday's bible is bible study uh and um we're gonna have a good time. Looking forward to it, and uh, I hope that no, no matter wherever you are, that you're having a good Sunday, and it's not cray cray like mine's been cray cray. Uh, but we're here, you're here, and that is the most important thing. And of course, we have uh, Miss Wilma's going to be teaching our our kids Bible study. Hello, Miss Wilma. Hi, Bishop Long. Hi, everybody. Hope everybody's
0: having a great
1: time, yeah. and hoping everybody's having a safe weekend, tomorrow weekend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Labor Day. Labor Day weekend. What
0: did I say? Uh, oh,
1: you said Christmas.
0: Uh, oh, I did. I, oh, I'm yeah. Sorry if I later.
1: <laughs> You said, uh, "Yeah." I hope everybody's having a good uh, Christmas day. No, you you you, you you said, said? Me, you said Memorial. You said Memorial Day.
0: Memorial. God. Oh, oh, yeah. so, I apologize for that. I hope everybody's happy.
1: Uh, labor day,
0: day
1: hey now labor day labor day this is September. we are yeah we're already in september miss Wilma. we don't want to go back we want to keep forward we want to go forward we want to go forward, to go forward. that's what we want to do that's what we want to go this weekend
0: is. i hope everyone's having a great weekend
1: Thanks. there we go there that that's that's beautiful <laughs> that's beautiful that's beautiful okay are you ready to have our fun-filled exciting uh bible study miss wilma Yes, I am. All right. Well, let's, uh, I'm going to put the speaker up here and we're going to get started. How's that? Okay. Thanks, Wilma. Thanks. Okay. Uh, I'm <clears throat> just teasing Wilma today. You know, you got to tease Wilma. You got to, you have to tease Wilma. Uh, you've been totally holding out for years. All, all the, yeah, all the days run. Yeah, I can understand that, Arlene. I, I definitely can understand. Uh, but yeah. Wherever you are, wherever you are in this wonderful, wonderful weekend, hopefully you are, uh, you know, spending time with your family, friends, or hanging out with friends, or, um, you know, just, or just enjoying life. You know, just, it's one of those days. Just enjoy life. Uh, it's stressful, you know, and, and so it's, 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 it's important to take time for yourself. Um, and, and it's also a time for you to say, you know what, I just need to kind of uh, get my, Get my, get my own mental health uh, in, in order. Uh, labor Day, you know, it's, a, it's a public holiday, observed in uh, many, many countries around the world, including the United States. People are asking about Labor Day. Uh, it, typically, it's celebrated on the first uh, Monday in September. It's dedicated to honoring the achievements and contributions of workers in the labor movement. That's the whole point. It's a day to recognize and appreciate the social and economic uh, achievements of workers and appreciate uh, and to promote the well-being and rights of workers. Uh, By the way, it's interesting. In many places, Labor Day also marks the unofficial end of summer in some places with parades, picnics, and other recreational activities taking place. So in my little world upstairs in my brain, good. So Labor Day is the official end. I'm going to call it the official end of summer because I am ready for summer to be over and uh, fall to begin. That's what I am looking for. Uh, I'm not, I'm just not a fan of the summer. It's too hot, too hot, too hot. Uh, but oh, so for those of you who don't know, uh, what we do is I will teach the Bible study for the adults perspective. And then Miss Woman jumps on and she talks to you about the Bible study from the kids perspective. So, to, you know, she's, uh, that's what she does. That's how we, that's how we operate here. So for the first hour, we teach the, the, the Catholic Sunday mass readings for today. And then, at the second hour, I'm going to be giving you some Cliff Notes version, basically, of Philippians and Colossians. That's where we are on t- on tonight. And, of course, um, I'll be on TikTok afterwards a little bit later. So, I'll, I'll stay on TikTok after. And um, we can talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. I might stay on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter for a while, too. So, why not? Why not? Why not? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely a winter person. I love the winter. And let's bring it on. Let's bring it on. So, our first reading, everybody, uh, we don't have long. These are not long readings, especially the second reading. Second reading is long. reading. However, Miss Wilma has 500 pages of notes. So the first reading is Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 20. Uh, and that's uh, only verses seven, seven through nine. It is true. Uh, I talked to Miss Wilma earlier th- and she was like, well, I've got 15 pages of what? Of the- oh, ten sheets, ten sheets of notes. And two verses in the second reading. Two verses. Okay, Uh, but our first reading, everybody, is Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 20, and we're going to cover verse 7 through 9. Okay, so you can get your Bibles out. Well, thank you very much there, Alan. And uh, for those of you who are offering uh, gifts to the ministry uh, on TikTok, thank you for doing that. uh, I absolutely appreciate that. And I apologize if I don't thank you uh, individually. Uh, As you know, I have three different computers running at the same time. Uh, Thank you very much, Shelly. And uh, so I also want to remind everybody that we're having uh, our our, um, November the 3rd is coming up. It will be here before we know it. We're only 60 days out, actually. It's kind of crazy. 60 days out. Where um, we will have three folks, Bill, Mark, and Sean, will be ordained a deacon. On November the 3rd. And uh, Tommy will be ordained to the priesthood. At 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And at the Sycamore Springs Chapel. And that's in English, Indiana. Uh, I, I uh, checked out. The, I'll tell you what. It's, it's a beautiful little chapel. It truly is. It's a beautiful little chapel. It's going to be a great, beautiful uh, liturgy. It's the entire liturgy. So it's the entire mass. So, uh, it, it, you know, if you guys want to go, you're more than welcome. It's open to the public and uh, Sycamore Springs Chapel, and that's where, uh, that's where it's going to be, November the 3rd. And it's going to be beautiful at that time anyway, because the leaves have been changed. It'll be in the fall. Oh, my goodness. It's just going to be gracious. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, there we go. So, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7 through 9, let's go. You duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. You were too strong for me, and you triumphed all the day. I am an object of laughter. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I must cry out. Violence and outrage is my message. The word of the Lord has brought me derision and reproach all the day. I say to myself, I will not mention him. I will not speak his name no more. But then it becomes like fire burning in my heart, imprisoned in my bones. I grow weary holding it in. I cannot endure it. The word of the Lord. If we were at Mass, we'd say the word of the Lord, and uh, your response would be, thanks be to God. Now, let me explain this reading, everybody, because, again, history is really important to understand the context of the readings. You have, you have to understand the historical context. Jeremiah lived through one of the most troubled periods of time uh, in the ancient Near East, he actually witnessed the fall of a great empire, Assyria. Thank you. Um, and the rising of even a greater one, which was Babylon. Now, in the midst of this turmoil, the kingdom of Judah, then at the hands of a de- deplorable kings, came to its downfall by resisting the overwhelming force of history. So Yahweh, God called Jeremiah to be a prophet to Judah and to the nations in the midst of these political, uh, you know, distress. His ministry lasted for 40 years. And his book testifies that his, in, uh, his interventions were numerous. In fact, the last decades of Judah's history required a continual flow of light from Yahweh's messenger. Besides Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Nahum, uh, Ezekiel delivered the word of God. Of all these uh, inspired men, no one, in my opinion, reached the stature of Jeremiah in his great sensitivity to Yahweh's love for his people. And in his profound understanding, uh, of the word is, is noted for its directness and acuity in stating the true nature of Yahwehism and denouncing the different religious deviations, which was occurring at the time. The the two predominant themes of his message, of Jeremiah's message, are precisely to define true Yahwehism and to proclaim the imminent wars as punishment of Judah's sins. So in 586 BC, uh, Jerusalem was sacked, and the Judean population deported to Babylon, and a number of Judeans fled to Egypt taking Jeremiah along with them, uh, were, according to Jewish legend, that's where he was allegedly stoned to death. Okay, so you can see, I mean, the, a, a prophet reminds people, hey, you are not following the covenant. And if you're not going to follow the covenant, this is going to be the consequence. So a lot of people don't want to hear what a, a prophet's message to culture. they know, oh, okay, whatever, all right, yeah, 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 whatever and but a prophet reminds people listen to me you turn away from god and then all hell breaks loose in your in your whole entire family into your life then what do you expect will happen that's what we see this in scripture all throughout scripture where where prophets are always reminding the social, the the, social, the society the the culture at the time we're turning away if we're doing the wrong stuff you know we're worshipping pagan gods and Many times, people don't want to hear that. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't have time to hear that right now. And so uh, many th- prophets are stoned, rejected, sometimes accepted, and listened to. But a lot of people don't like to listen to—we see this in history, in the biblical history. They don't like to listen to prophets because what prophets do is place a mirror in front of culture, in front of society, and say, look at what we're doing. Take a look at your reflection. Is this really Yahweh's people? If you're going to call yourself a child of God, are you behaving like one? Or are you behaving like a heathen? Are you are you are you uh, hedonistic? That's what he, I mean, hedonistic means if it feels good, do it. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The, hell, the, the the heck with all morals and values. The heck with that. If it feels good, do it. That's hedonistic. So a prophet, and and I'm going to tell you something right now, whether people like this or not. My God, we are turning away from God in this culture right now. I've never seen it so vivid and so unbelievably disgusting and disturbing. We want God away from everything. We want God away from our schools. We want God from away from our buildings. We want God for everything. And then when when um, when our our life completely shambles. Then we said, well, God, where are you? And God said, well, you kicked me out of your schools. You kicked me even out of your churches. You kicked me out of your buildings and now you're going to yell at me when things get bad. But we're doing that in our society today. So, 7 says, you duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. So, what's Jeremiah saying? The verb translated as "dupe." Means to seduce. It's used in the case of, of, a, of, a, of a, a virgin being seduced by a man in Exodus chapter 22, verse 15. Jeremiah is being very bold in speaking to God. So Jeremiah is now, he, he Jeremiah is very direct. And then he says, You were too strong for me, and you triumphed. So in other words, uh, Jeremiah is saying he has been seized. Seized, again, a word used in the context of uh, taken advantage of, taken over, as if he is ultimately a victim. And he says, all the day I'm an object of laughter. Everyone has mocked me. Everyone mocks me. So he believes, he's frustrated. He said, I put my faith in you. You give me your word that you want me to tell your people. And now they're mocking me and everyone's making fun of me. I was duped. Why did you set me up like this? And then in verse eight, he says, when I, Whenever I speak, I must cry out. Violence and outrage is my message. The word of the Lord has brought me derision and reproach all the day. But he is not holding back. He's really angry. So, according to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10, he had been sent to root up and tear down, to build and to plant. So, until now, his message has corresponded only to the first part of the program. And as a result, he has had to face constant persecutions. I mean, look, if he had been able to build and plant, the situation would have been different. But now he's having to. Tear down and build up. And because of that, he is furious. And then nine says here it is. And here's the turnaround. Here's the change. Here's the transition here. I say to myself, I will not mention him. Him being Yahweh. I will not mention him. I will speak in his name. Nor more, so his name being yahweh 's name, so jeremiah that 's it i 'm not going to even mention yahweh 's name, and i 'm not even going to speak in yahweh 's name anymore i 've had it i 've had it being not, being mocked i 've had it being laughed at i 've had it being, being cruel people being cruel to me i 've had it but then something happens there. it teaches us a lesson. That even a great prophet like Jeremiah can be angry with God and feel like he had been duped, that he had been seduced by God, taken advantage of to to actually be used. So even a great prophet like Jeremiah sometimes can feel the way that we feel when we say, "God, are you here? Are you there? Are you listening to me?" You ask me to do this. I'm doing your thing. Now I get all this nonsense. God knows, I, 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 I relate to this, to this passage very, very, very closely. I truly relate to it. Because when I was in, like I said, when I, since I was a little boy, I knew I wanted to be a Roman Catholic priest. Study for the Roman Catholic priesthood for six years. My life was planned going to be a parish priest, going to be happy, life was going to be good. Everything had been planned out. And then God said, hey, James, I want you to look at this over here. Now, that wasn't in my plan. That wasn't in my, I wasn't even considering that. I wasn't even thinking about it. it wasn't even in my rearview mirror. So through prayer, I said, okay, what is this? And then I found the old Catholic Church. So I said, okay, God, I'll trust you. If this is where you want me to go, I'll go in this. I'll, I'll go in that direction. And I went in that direction. And then went public with my ministry to help, help the, the community. And within a couple of years, I was starting to get death threats. Legitimate death threats. Even the police got involved. People saying some pretty terrible things. To the point where I actually had to carry a gun with me when I went to mass in Louisville. So here I am with my chasuble and my alb, and and I have, I have a, a revolver underneath all these all these vestments because I'm afraid that some idiot's going to come in there and start shooting the parishioners. We had to have a a a, a, a a a plainclothes police officer sit in the back of the pew because they were legitimate death threats. And even to the point where when I went to one a paranormal conference, they had to hire four police officers, four, just to be. And they sat around me while I was hearing people's issues and praying for people and blessing items. And I, and they, and I asked, I said, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. No, sir, I'm sorry. We, they, had, they stayed right there. And do you know why? Number one, because I joined the old Catholic Church, because that was very unusual. That was very unheard of. People didn't really know about the old Catholic Church over 20 years ago. And because I welcome everybody, every single person in this ministry, I welcome everybody without judgment or condemnation. I defend people. I defend people's rights. I defend people uh, people who are being bullied, who have no voice, who are being attacked, viciously attacked, and discriminated against. And that is why I was getting death threats to the point where they even found out where I lived. At that time, I thought, really, God, this is it? So you you have me come over here. You have me leave the church, the Roman Catholic Church, to join the old Catholic Church, and I put my faith in you, and that's fine. And, And I do this, and I follow this call, and now I get death threats. Yeah, I was angry. So I understand Jeremiah very, very clearly. But then... Jeremiah says something that I can relate to. And he says, but then it becomes like fire, the burning in my heart, imprisoned in my bones. I grow weary holding it in. I cannot endure it. Meaning the call from God is so irresistible. And not only the call, but God's peace. That when God sends the Holy Spirit And you have that inner turmoil, and it calms. It says, okay, I'm at peace with whatever happens. Because if this is the way God wants me to be, then I need to put my whole trust in God. Because God knows far more what's going to happen than I do. And you surrender not only to to God's will, you surrender to your call, And you surrender to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will give you the courage to say, All right, yep. Uh, How many people here on TikTok? I mean, uh, people on TikTok, I, I have been called everything but my name on TikTok. Everything but my name on TikTok. But that you have to realize, and I tell you, that truly is. My spirit irritates their demons. And I will continue to irritate your demons every single day of my life. And the seminarians, the same thing for you. And the laity, the same thing for you. You have the spirit of the Holy Spirit within you and you're going to irritate their demons. And that's the way it's going to be. But when you have a calling, whatever that calling is, we all have a calling from God. And once you say yes to God, you know you also have to remember Jesus said you must take up your cross and carry, and carry, carry, walk after me. You must do it. And that's fine. And that comes with being a disciple of Christ. So, uh, Ms. Wilma, what you, what you, how would you teach this particular um, reading to our kids out there?
0: Uh, You know, the disciples went through what Jeremiah and you, uh, the disciples went through all that. Uh, Hi, sweethearts. We are in the Old Testament, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet. He loved his people. But when Jeremiah started going around talking about God, some of the people started making fun of him every day and wanted to hurt him. Because they didn't want to hear about God. Jeremiah thought new people are wanting to hurt me. I'm thinking about just stopping, just stop going out to preach, but I cannot because God's words are like fire burning inside my heart. The more that I went out talking, I wanted to save people's lives and so they could turn to God.
1: Very good, thank you, Miss Wilma.
0: You're welcome.
1: All right, let's go on to second our uh, second uh, reading, everybody. It's uh, Romans chapter twelve, verse one through two. That's a big old reading, uh, the big, big, big reading. Let me tell you, Romans chapter twelve, verse one through two. Uh, uh, someone's asking my messenger again. I I use the New Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition. Uh, that is. Um, what i use because obviously the catholic bible has 73 books whereas the protestant bibles has 66 books and uh because we the catholic version we have what's called the deuterocanonical books and we, we I've already given a lesson on that uh but that's why um so uh, the, it, that's we we refer to them as deuterocanonical uh, but anyway it is uh Romans chapter 12 verse 1 through 2 all right So let's jump into this. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. And if we heard Mass, we'd say the word of the Lord. And then your response would be, thanks be to God. So let me explain this one. Uh, So today we we are going to continue the book of Romans uh, from where we left off in the previous week. Uh, St. Paul writes from the point of view of a Pharisee. Remember, St. Paul was not ignorant on on Scripture. He was very well schooled in the Scriptures and in covenant theology. So he wasn't illiterate. He had had been uh, lamenting. Uh, how the Jews have failed to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but at the same time rejoicing that the Gentiles serve as the means to bring the whole world to salvation. After all, remember, the Jews are descended from the southern kingdom, which is Judah, while the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, Israel, were sent into exile in 722 B.C. and never returned. So having been scattered among the nations... The Gentiles are from the nations and will serve as the example to bring about the reunification of the descendants of Jacob and Israel, the 12 tribes. So let's explain this. It says here, I urge you, therefore, brothers. So Paul is actually speaks as an authorized apostle. He says, by the mercies of God. Now, notice he says mercies. The plural suggests the multiple manifestations of mercy he's described in chapters 9 through 11. So you can go back and uh, you read uh, chapters 9 through 11, and you can find out what, what the mercies he's referring to. To offer your bodies, as in a sacrificial setting, as a living sacrifice. So no, he's not saying that he wants you to throw yourself in the fire. That's actually what they did uh, to a particular god, um, who starts with the letter M and they would actually throw their firstborn child into a fire as a sacrifice. So, so what Paul is saying is Christians who strive to do what is right, give a, a a powerful sense and meaning to their lives. Paul compares this offering to animals, sacrificing the Jewish temple, right? But he adds the distinguishing note that their entire offerings of themselves is alive and living not as a dead animal, so Paul is remember Paul's also re- teaching Gentiles. so this is very important to understand so Gentiles who are converting g- get, can make a bit confused because remember in the early church there were a lot there was a lot of groups saying oh, no, no no you got to uh, not if you're going to be you can convert to Christianity but you also have to follow the Mosaic law. you have to follow the Torah, the six hundred thirteen laws in the holiness code. And these people were causing such a turmoil in these cities. And Paul was saying, stop, that's not correct. We are no longer under the old covenant. So that's what Paul is doing. He's teaching us now that our sacrifice that we offer, we offer God as a living sacrifice, that we're no longer offering uh, dead animals as a sacrifice of atonement for sins. Because depending on the sin that you did, would would depend on what animal you actually uh, paid for and slaughtered in the temple. So the, the, the bigger the sin, the bigger the animal, the more expensive the animal cost. But but Paul is saying, no, we're, we're no longer under that law. We're under the new covenant. And so Paul is reteaching people, the, Jewish, the Jews as well as the Gentiles, because there was such confusion. Remember, we're looking at this from 2,000 years of history. But Paul was looking at this from a current perspective. So Paul has to reteach all of them. And not only that, but it's not like he can pick up the phone and then speak to the bishops you know, in that area or the pastors in the area. So he, when he hears word back, going back and forth that these churches uh, are, are having these uh, groups of individuals causing such confusion, then Paul has to clear this up. So that's what he's saying. We're not, we're not offering dead animals anymore. That's done. And then, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. So we're no longer under the physical worship as in the dead animals. Now worship means spiritual. So it is a spiritual worship because it's guided by reason and benefiting us. So we're no longer bound by the law of the Mosaic law of using sacrificial animals. And then he says, do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, what is Paul saying here? Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So, Paul regards this age, the world, to be passing and imperfect, which it is. And so, he alludes to the uh, rabbinical um, designation of this age and the age to come. St. Paul teaches that the age to come has already begun. The two ages meeting in Christian disp- disp- uh, dispensation. So this is why the Christian, although he, uh, he, we are in this age, we must live for God and not be conformed to any other standard. So do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. Uh, what Paul is the the Christian metam, uh, metamorphosis is not external, like Christ in the transfiguration. Remember, he, the transfiguration occurred. It's not it's not external, but it's inward. It's internal, and this change is effected by the presence of God's Spirit within the Christian upon baptism. And then, of course, accept Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. We obey this command to offer ourselves, and uh, when, we, um, when we pray the Eucharistic prayer at Mass, when we lift up our hearts, we lift them up to the Lord is the response, we are placing our lives on the altar along with the offering of bread and wine so, so that our lives, our lives, along with the bread and wine, can be transformed by God into something even more pleasing to him. So that's what's so beautiful about the mass, the Catholic mass. It is. It's a participation. And that is why we say, you know, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord. God. Uh, it is right to give Him thanks and praise. So we are participating in that offering. And so Paul has to teach and reteach and deal with all these issues of, of people causing so much distraction. And we do have that today. We certainly have that. A, we, we have a lot. I've said this a million times. We have a lot of pastors out there preaching. And I don't know. I don't know what they're preaching, but it's not Christianity. I mean, they're preaching, they're preaching about a Jesus of fire, hell, and dim, uh, damnation, and all this other stuff. And I, I'm like, I don't know that Jesus. I, I don't know that Jesus that you're talking about. That's not the Jesus I know. And yeah, I believe in hell, but my goodness, uh, you would think that uh, Jesus is there with a whip and, and can't wait to throw everybody down there. You talk to some pastors, everybody's going. You see, that's that's what I'm saying. That's, that's 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 Paul would say, absolutely not. Paul would say, no, 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 that, that's not Christianity. So I, I think certainly we need Paul today, just as we needed Paul 2,000 years ago. And I think if Paul were here right now, he would be doing a face palm, like, oh, please tell me they didn't do so. Please. And I think we'd see Paul doing a lot of those uh, face palms. Okay, Ms. Wilma, how would you teach our two little um, verses? How come you
0: said only two little verses? It's two I, little I, verses. I, I get to talking. Uh, yes, um, sweethearts, we are in the New Testament Romans. I want to pretend to play basketball. Okay. I, I know I can't see you, but I love playing basketball. So here we go. I want to play. We want to play basketball with all of you. Okay. We are a great team working together. Playing and having a great time. Yay! We're just having a good old time playing basketball. Uh, whoops. Uh, I missed the basket, net, But that's okay. But we're still a great team. It, 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 you know, I'm going to miss a lot of hoots there, but that's all right. going to make that great team, don't we?
1: Boom.
0: No matter what. You know, this is like a church. The church is Jesus' house. He's our coach. And we are his team. Jesus teaches us right from wrong by obeying all of his commandments and loving Jesus all the time. Jesus gave his life up for us so we can be saved. When he looks down from heaven and sees some of the people that's not loving him and doing terrible things, yes, sweethearts. Jesus crying because that hurts him saying I died on the cross for you and this is how you're showing me how you treated me that you're you're loving me Jesus wants us to be ourselves he does not want us to be like any others in the world Jesus don't want to see us be pressured into doing something That might be wrong. Jesus is always with us, showing us how to make the right choices. When he sees us as ourselves and asking him for help, that makes Jesus very happy. Jesus wants us to always obey and love him and trust him. Talking to him in prayer, not only respect him, for what Jesus does, but for
1: but to love Him for who He is. Okay. Um, well, you're you're going to be sitting on the bench since you missed that basket. Okay, that's it. You're you're, you're sitting on the bench.
0: Okay. I, I we'll make a great team. Yay! Foul!
1: Foul for Miss Wilma. Miss Wilma foul. <laughs> foul. No, we we we, we probably
0: you on, who, who, who have to no, no we, You
1: we probably would never start the game because you'd be too busy talking to the other team. <laughs> well,
0: that might be true. That's true. <laughs> All right,
1: thank you, Miss Wilma.
0: You, you're welcome.
1: Uh, let me yeah, let me say something because someone asked uh, someone did ask a question. Do we need to repent? Yes, we do. Uh, yeah, we do need to repent. Uh, please keep in mind uh, that that Jesus did teach quite often about the repentance of sin. So in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus began his public ministry by saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. He also emphasized the need for repentance in other passages, like in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Repentance is, a, is central to the Christian belief that acknowledging one's sins and turning away from them and then seeking forgiveness leads to reconciliation with God. So we most certainly need to repent. But what we don't need to do is worry about, oh, my goodness, if I repent, will God forgive me? The question is yes. God will absolutely... But, but God doesn't force that forgiveness upon you. So that, for, that, that forgiveness is, is granted. But all you have to do is ask. You see, that's, that's the type of God that we have. And that's, that goes along, again, with free will. So uh, when you do something... I don't have a Discord. I I, I I have no idea how how I could do a Discord. And I send me a message on on my Facebook. Uh, Life is peachy. That would be the best way to do it. Okay. Uh, Matthew is our gospel reading. Is Matthew chapter sixteen, verse twenty-one through twenty-seven. Everybody. Uh, Matthew chapter sixteen, verse twenty-one through twenty-seven. Oh well, thank you very much. Yeah, because uh, I know. Uh, Life is peachy. You were asking. Uh, can you speak to me? Uh, yeah, the best way is just to Facebook, not 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 here on TikTok. Uh, uh, or after a Bible study, if you have a question, or if you want to talk to me privately, Facebook is the best way. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Bill. Thank you very much, Arlene, and thank you there, Nessie. So Matthew chapter sixteen, verse twenty-one through twenty-seven. Thank you very much, Shannon. And Shannon. All right. Are you all ready? It says from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly from the elders, the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day. And on the third day, be raised. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord, no such thing shall ever happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an obstacle to me. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. For the Son of Man will come with his angels in his Father's glory, and then he will repay everyone according to his conduct. And if we were at Mass, we'd say the gospel of the Lord. All right, so let me explain this one to everybody. So having heard uh, last week Peter's declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, and then Peter's subsequent commissioning as the leader of the church, Jesus now proceeds to begin to instruct his apostles about what is to happen to to Jesus, his his, uh, passion and death. So it says that from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly. Why? Because Jerusalem is the city where the prophets die. Matthew chapter 23, verse 29 through 39. And it says, uh, and suffer greatly from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. Why are all of those three listed? Well, there, there's a reason why Matthew lists those, because Matthew is very specific, very tedious in his writings, very, very, very specific. The elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, the three groups that Matthew mentions, it composes the Sanhedrins. And the elders were lay leaders, so that, that, well, that was the Sanhedrin's of the group. And then be killed on the third day, and on the third day be raised. Now, some commenta- uh, commentators uh, see this as a reference to Hosea chapter 6, verse 2. Although it could be a, a, a precise prophecy of what is to happen to Christ, imagine the disillusionment of the disciples at this point. Remember, he has just been revealed as the Messiah. And you've always been taught as a, as a baby from your cradle that the Messiah would be, uh, have a military victory and prosperity, overthrow the Roman Empire, and everybody would be happy. That's what you were always taught. And that's what your parents were taught, and their parents were taught. So now he's been revealed as the Messiah. You're like, yep, yeah, that's our Messiah. When is the battle going to begin? And now they're ready to go. They're ready to like, okay, here we go. This is going to be good. Where's my weapon? And when are we going to war? I'm ready to go. And now Jesus flips the the, the script. Now he's starting to speak of suffering and rejection. Whoa, that's not what we were taught. So the disciples are saying, wait, hold on, no, 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 no. Jesus, you must have not gotten the Cliff Notes version. Because that's not what we were taught. And Peter says, "Hold on, guys, I got this. Just hold on, hold on. Let me take care of this." Because Jesus, remember, Jesus just said that Peter, you're going to be the rock. So now Peter's puffing his chest out. And he said, "I'm going to take care of this problem. You guys just take a step back." Because what did Peter do? He actually took Jesus to the side. So he's going to take the Messiah to the side. See, and he's just saying, "Now look." Your, your, plan, your plan of this uh, 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 being rejected and killed, no, 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 no. That don't fit in my plan. See, Peter is talking through ego. Because remember, Jesus just told Peter that he's going to be the leader of the church. So now Peter is thinking, oh, this is, I'm going to be a high-ranking military official. I'm going to be high up in the government. I'm going to be somebody important. And so all the disciples are thinking the same thing. So Peter's thinking, all right, I can do this. Yeah, this is going to be good. They've got the Messiah here. We're going to go to war. I'm going to be a high-ranking uh, government official. People are going to respect me. And yeah. And then Jesus talks about being rejected. And like, uh, hold, hold on, that hold on those were not the plans. Because now you're talking about rejecting. So ego creeps in and this is where the demon, this is where the devil creeps in. What's called through ordinary demonic activity where the devil starts speaking in your ear and says, "No, no, you don't need a crossless life. See, the, the devil says to you, you need a crossless life. That's what the devil says. Jesus says, you must Pick up your cross and carry it after me. So there's two, that's the thing. That's where, so Peter now, he's a human being. But now he's being raised as the leader of the church. And now the devil creeps in because Peter starts having doubt, ego. And the devil sees a perfect opportunity and says, oh, no, 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 no. Tell him he doesn't need to do that because the devil doesn't want Jesus taking up the cross. Remember, the devil is not all-knowing. Some people think that the devil is all-knowing. He No, he's not. The devil is not all-knowing. Now the devil knows what the plan is. See, because Jesus has revealed the plan. Because up until then, the devil had no idea that what the plan was going to be because the devil is not God. So now Jesus says, I'm going to be rejected by the elders. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to be raised on the third day. The devil says, oh, that's the plan oh, we got to stop this. We have to stop it. That's a perfect opportunity for the devil to creep in and say, hey, Peter, Jesus loves you. You're going to be the big guy. You're going to have to talk him out of it. That's how the devil works. The devil is very intelligent, very wise, very manipulative. And so he creeps into Peter, and he uses Peter's doubt about Jesus' mission. Because now the devil knows the plan, and the devil wants to stop the plan at all cost. Because the devil had no idea what the plan was. The devil is not all-knowing. But now he knows. So what does he do? He uses the future leader of the church, and he creeps in there. Take him to the side. Teach him, no, 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 no. We we don't need to do that. And And then Peter took Jesus to the side and began to rebuke him. Rebuke him. Peter rebuking the Messiah. People forget that word, rebuking him. So Peter, through ego, through ordinary demonic activity, he falls into temptation, and the demonic is using him as a puppet and begins to have the nerve, the audacity, to rebuke the Messiah in the Messiah's true mission. Now, Jesus recognizes and he knows what's going on. He knows exactly what's happening. And that's when Peter said, God forbid, Lord, no such thing shall ever happen to you. So Peter's saying, nope, that's not going to happen. No way, Jose. And then Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me. So he's first of all, he's looking right at Peter. Get behind me. He's saying, you remember, right now, you need to remain a follower. You're not ready to lead yet. And then he says, Satan, you are an obstacle to me. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Remember, Satan tempted Jesus in the desert. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. So the devil is using Peter as a pawn in trying to convince Jesus that his true mission is not to accept the cross. And Jesus sees the devil and sees what the devil is doing. You see this? That's, that's, how, that's how powerful this moment is. Even Peter, I mean, the, the person that Jesus said, you are going to be the rock. Even Peter fell into ordinary demonic activity. That's why you can't look down upon yourself and think that you are less than. Because the devil will use every tactic that it can to push you away from growing uh, growing closer to God. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wishes to come after me, in other words, be my follower, must deny himself. Denial of self doesn't mean renunciation of some optional good. It means that the self is nothing. It has no claims, no value. To deny oneself is to to disown oneself as the center of one's existence. In other words, the the universe does not revolve around us. Sorry to say to some narcissistic individuals, it doesn't revolve around you. And then Jesus says, take up this cross and follow me. This is is an allusion to Jesus' crucifixion. So you have to understand, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you will uh, have to pick up your cross and you will, uh, you have to go through the stumbling block, but you also have to realize that this life is not the final destination because he says, Jesus says, for whoever wishes to save his life, avoid martyrdom, deny Christ, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, will find it. And he says, what profit would there be for one to gain the whole world to acquire wealth like all these idiots are doing who are selling their soul to the devil so they can get famous, so they can get wealthy? Why? And, then, and forfeit their life. Or what can one give in exchange for his life? Jesus says, for the son of man will come with his angels in his father's glory, and then he will repay everyone according to their conduct. So Jesus is making it very clear. The Son of Man, Christ, acts as judge, as a complete, total judge, judge, jury, and executioner. And the kingdom is his. So if you wish to live a crossless life, then listen to the devil. Because that's all he's going to offer you. But if you want to listen to Christ, you need to understand you have to pick up your cross, and you know there's going to be stumbling blocks, and it's going to be difficult. But that is what the Holy Spirit is all about. That's why, we have, that's why we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the courage and strength to say, okay, yeah, I'm going through hell right now, and I'm going through difficult, but I'm not going to curse God because of it. I'm going to thank God because God has given me the strength through the Holy Spirit to endure the storms of disillusionment where the devil says, oh, no, 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 you don't need to do that. And that's where danger lurks. Miss Wilma, how would you teach our kids this particular reading?
0: My sweethearts, we are in the New Testament Matthew. Jesus told his disciples, I have to go to Jerusalem to suffer in front of the chief priests and elders, Jewish leaders. Then be killed. But on the third day, I will rise up and be alive again. Peter told Jesus, I will never let them or anyone hurt you. You won't suffer and die. Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan. Satan, that's the devil. You're not thinking about God's concerns, but you are people's concerns. But wait a minute. Why would Peter say this knowing Jesus came to save everyone and knowing he's the Messiah, the living God's son? Jesus knew the devil was causing Peter to say this and was tempting Peter, trying to help the devil, keeping him away from God's plan. Satan wants everyone to do bad things and be mean so that we can turn to him and not Jesus. He wants Jesus' power, but guess what? He will never, ever win because Jesus has way more power than Satan does. On our shoulder, you know, I've always told the kids this. We have a guardian angel saying, no, please don't do that. And on the other shoulder, we have the devil's helper, the demon saying, yeah, go ahead, do it. But with Jesus is always here with us the devil will never he will never leave us alone because he knows Jesus will take care of him for us. That's why Jesus died on the cross for us, to save all of us. When Jesus told Satan, get behind me, he knew Peter was listening to Satan because Satan told Peter, the, the devil will be working harder on you to fail because he wants people to listen to him and not, Jesus. Yes, Jesus knew what was going to happen. He didn't want anyone to try and stop him. That's why he died on the cross for us. Jesus is saying, if someone wants to follow me, they must be suffer also. Jesus suffered and died on the cross to save us from our sins. But never forget, when we suffer for Jesus, it's going to be worth it. One day, Jesus will come from heaven on a cloud with his angels, all believers who obey Jesus' commandments and love him. We will live in heaven with Jesus forevermore, sufferings no more, hurting, lying, stealing. That will never enter heaven. We will always be loved in heaven. Sweethearts, I want you to listen very carefully and to remember this, please. Heaven is real. Let me say this again. Heaven is real. Jesus talked about heaven to his disciples. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he is alive. He told his disciples where I'm going, you can't come with me now. I'm going to get things ready for you and make you a mansion in heaven. And then later, I'll be back for you. Now, when Jesus went up to heaven after talking with his disciples, they kept looking up. Two angels came down from heaven. Ask, why are you still looking up to the sky? Jesus is in heaven. When Jesus comes back down the second time, Jesus will be coming down from heaven on a cloud. He loves all of us so very much. The reason why I'm asking for you to please remember about heaven is real, there are some people that got believers that they're saying there's no heaven, darlings. Believe me, they there is a heaven, and Jesus is watching over you, twenty four seven. He never ever leaves us. He loves you
1: so much. Well, all right, there, Miss Wilma. Thank you for being with us on this brutal, brutal Sunday.
0: Well, I'm glad I got. I be all love you. and i because i didn't know because sometimes you know I don't feel good but i'm glad i got to be on tonight i'm going to jump off here and hope everyone has a great night and i love all of you and god bless
1: thank you miss wilma and i'll talk to you tomorrow all
0: right night everyone all right bye-bye bye-bye
1: all right everybody that was miss wilma so uh, we all, like i said we have um uh, miss wilma jumps on with us uh every sunday to teach uh kids so if you have children we'd love to have them join us uh you know she she's been teaching over 20 years so gig women gig did i say gig um uh so let me give you a, uh, a uh, my homily and then we're going to go into uh, teaching philippians and colossians how's that and i'm going to be with you guys for a, a little bit tonight uh uh, I, I'm, I'm thankfully I'm a little bit more alert than I was yesterday. Yesterday was just like, a. I was just not, um, cause I suffer from insomnia. So last night I, I, uh, uh, that was my third day being awake. Uh, when I say awake, I don't sleep. And so, uh, it, you know, it, it, and then I crash. I just crash for 14, 16 hours, uh, so it's not because, it, it's not like I sleep for a couple hours. No, I, I don't sleep. My brain just says, oh, good, it's 10 o'clock. Woohoo! it's 10 o'clock in the morning instead of 10 o'clock at night. So, yeah, I was able to sleep. Uh, I crashed afterwards. That's why I had to log off at 9 o'clock last night. And I slept for, from 9 o'clock until 10 o'clock, so 13 hours. And that's what happens. That is what happened. Well, thank you. I, I look rested today. I took a shower. I took my weekly shower. Folks, I live in Kentucky. Don't judge. Okay? Don't judge. Don't judge. All right. Some people might believe that. Ooh, nasty. Um, So here's my homily for this week. And don't worry, I'm Catholic. I don't speak long. In today's uh, gospel, Peter balks at the thought that Christ must deny himself and take up his cross. Remember last week, our Lord was praising Peter's faith. And this week, he's condemning his worldly outlook in today's uh, first reading Jeremiah laments all the ridicule and suffering uh that he endures at the law at the uh, Lord's cause what is this what's well, a long uh Goodness gracious, that's a long uh, print uh, thing here for me to read. Uh, when you thought of the devil it throws chaos, pain, heartache, and God has been happening in my life, how do I stop this? I reject Satan, I pray, and he's still throwing obstacles through my family. Death through. Okay, uh, Facebook user. Okay, so the Facebook user is saying this. When you taught us that the devil will throw chaos, pain, heartache, the closer you get to God, yep, it's been happening in my life, how do I stop this? I reject Satan, I pray that he's still throwing obstacles. Uh, through my family, death, sickness, and much heartbreak, he knows that the only way to hurt me is through my family. What else can I do? I need guidance on this. I lost three family members in a matter of two months to each of my Granddaughter, okay, so I understand. The devil's not going to stop. The devil won't stop. That's not what the devil's going to do. That's not in the devil's nature. And. That's the whole point that Jesus was saying. If you're going to follow me, you must pick up your cross. Because the devil is going to throw all kinds of obstacles on your way. And and that's why I keep saying the devil offers you a crossless life. Because then the devil says, throws this at you and that at you and this problem because you're growing closer to God. So the devil keeps throwing everything at you. And then we get angry with God thinking that God's doing it. God is not doing it. It is the devil that throws all these obstacles in our lives because the devil wants us then to look at God and say, okay, I'm sick of this. I'm done. I'm not going to follow you anymore because the devil says you don't need to do that. The devil says you don't need a cross. You don't need to carry a cross. That's what the devil says to you. But if you're going to follow Christ, you have to understand that you will have obstacles. You will have trials and you will have tribulations. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be angry. But what is not okay is for you to start cursing God or blaming God for what the devil has done or is currently doing in your life. We need to, and I'm not saying you, where we have to stop blaming God for the trials and tribulations in our lives and look at where it is coming from. It is God who gives us the strength to endure. Without that strength, then we wouldn't endure. So the the devil is smiling, smirking, and throwing more and more obstacles your way, and will continue to do so. Whether you like it or not, will continue to do so. So, sometimes that's where you need help. That's where you need friends. To come and pick, help carry your cross. To help carry with you. That we are. That's why I've said we are all fellow travelers to the grave. We can trip each other on the way, or we can help each other up when one stumbles and falls. And, and we have to remember this. So I think that's a, an important note to remember. You know, Simon of Cyrene uh, is traditionally believed to have helped uh, Jesus carry his cross to to the crucifixion, uh, to Golgotha. So sometimes we need our friends, we need our loved ones to help pick up that cross. And the weight is heavy. The weight is tough sometimes. Sometimes. But that is our job, folks, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Our job is to help one another. And so when you have the days where the trials and tribulation are less heavy on your shoulders, but yet you see your brother and sister stress, that's when we have to reach out. Because, see, that is when that's when God is calling you to help that person. I've said this before. Okay, I've said this before. God often answers our prayers in whispers. He answers our call and our prayers through other people. So other people r- realize and they see us struggling and they want to help. I couldn't do this ministry without certain individuals to 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 have helped me go, you know, through the years. Couldn't do it. And I'm not going to Say, hey, that person, I'm not going to do But I'm just simply going to say that there's no way that I could. So that when I go to, when I, I have computer issues or this issue, I'm like, what, how, what am I going to do now? This is great. Now, what am I going to do? Well, God places it in someone's heart to help Bishop Long. And that is God helping me carry my cross so that I can continue the ministry. The same thing with you. So our prayers, remember, not all angels have wings. And we can look at life very negatively and think that it's all negative, it's all terrible. and all that. We can think that way. Or we can also think about, okay, let's think about all the times when we got depressed and we were down and we were lonely. And then a friend, a loved one calls us and say, hey, how are you doing? Just checking up on you. Well, we can't overlook those things because that's God answering our prayers. We may not uh, recognize that and realize that, but it certainly is. And sometimes we, 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 mis- we mistake that, and we can't. Remember, in, our, in, our, in today's gospel, Jesus teaches us that the cross is a part of our life, whether we want it or not. What matters is how we face it and why we face it. He also encourages us to practice self-detachment, to remember that everything we have comes from God. No matter how often we try to accumulate things uh, and ensure comfort or uh, something prevents it from happening, some people are wealthy or healthy or in charge of their lives, yet they feel something is missing. All things that God has created only serves to the degree that they help us and others draw closer to God. Sometimes we lose sight of that. We want a life sometimes that does not involve self-denial and the cross, and that's what the devil offers you, a life where we own everything we would want, not just everything we we need, and, and that everything is good. The moment we become, the moment we are conceived is the moment we become terminal, but we know that this is not the end of our journey. When we get obsessed about achieving the impossible uh, in this world, unlimited wealth, unlimited health, complete comfort, no aches, no no pains, nothing unpleasant, total control, everything arranged to our satisfaction, those things that God created for our good become obstacles to drawing closer to him. And it throws up obstacles for others as well. Uh, God reminds us today that we can have the whole world but not possess what is truly important and the only thing that only way we can do that is by believing in him that's it this enduring and fulfilled life doesn't exist in this world where everything is perfect but the devil tries to pro- promise you that so if, if our, our Lord teaches us today that the only way to achieve what we truly desire is to take up our cross for the sake of a higher cause. His cause. Our Lord was ravaged on the cross, but not defeated. And from the tree of life, an enduring and fulfilling life is made possible if we take up his cause and imitate him. The alternative? It's a ravaged world. The more we seek fleeting things, the more we flee from our crosses, the more we'll suffer lasting misery. Because if we put our stock only in things of this world, they will sooner or later pass away. So every day, you, the challenge is for you to ask Christ to help us see our crosses, not as burdens, but as opportunities. To help and construct a better world in his name. Because you go through hell at this moment. You may be the voice that someone may need down the road who's going through the same hell that you went through. And you can teach them how you were able to get through it. You see, through our crosses in his service, we can achieve a better life for ourselves and others. So we must take up our cross and take up the cause for Christ. And that's what we have to do. Jesus promises that if we try to seek the pleasures of this world and and want a crossless life. Then we are listening, not to Christ, but we are listening to the devil because the devil offers you that. But in the end, it all fades away. So in this temporary moment of suffering. 65 years, 70 years, 75 years, however long we may live. If you think of that, and the fact that we have to pick up our crosses and go through those difficult times in life, 65, 70 years, 75 years, that to me is asking very little for granting that same individual an eternity of happiness. And may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, Philippians, let's get into it, everybody. All right, I understand. I understand. Look, I've I've been there. I I understand 100% the frustrations of life, the frustrations of of losing your loved ones and your family and uh, your fur babies and uh, friends. I get it. But I also understand that this is not... When we lose our loved ones, when we lose our fur babies, it is not goodbye. It is, I'll see you again. Maybe not t- tomorrow or the next day or next month or next year, but I'll see you again. You see, that's what Christ offers you. The devil offers you, I'll never see you again. Big difference. Okay? All right, let's get into um, uh, my Cliff Notes version of, uh, very welcome, uh, uh, Philippians. The key uh, uh, term here is joy. From the the noun joy and the verb uh, rejoice occurs 16 times in this short letter. Philippians is the biblical book that most extensively defines and describes joy. And if you were going to summarize Philippians, I would say it would be like knowing Jesus Christ is much more uh, joyful and important than anything else, because God has exalted Jesus, the crucified servant, with the name above every other name. Now, the purpose of this particular book this is a, this is a very important to understand. So, Paul wrote to the Philippians to thank them for the financial gift they had sent. Uh, to him, and he further wanted to report uh, and tell about timothy 's probable visit to them and as an added bonus, uh, Paul wanted to give them some important doctrinal teachings about Christ and knowing him, as well as to offer practical advice on living the Christian life you know vigorously and joyfully. so uh, people are asking me the other day uh, i, I don 't tithing is not an issue supporting your ministry, thank you very much supporting your there 's nothing wrong with supporting your ministry, nothing. But the the problem is, as I said in, in prosperity gospel, is when a pastor tells you that your blessings are, is contingent upon how much money you give that ministry, that's where the heresy is. Okay. Now, um, so for his glory, God, the Father, has both exalted Christ and has called people to know him, whom he tenderly cares for. So Jesus, by very nature, God humbled Himself by death on a cross, but thereby has been exalted with the greatest name. And in Philippians, there are two essential categories of human beings: enemies of the cross of Christ, and those who know Him. And that's what Paul says. There's two people. You're the you're either the enemy of the cross of Christ. Or you know Christ. The former are destined for destruction. Those who refuse the cross. And those who know Christ, resurrection. And, that's, and, and among those who know him, however, some proclaim him purely. But others do that for false motives. And he said that in chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. So the motives have to be pure. Thank you very much. Now salvation is presented from the viewpoint of knowing Christ. Knowing Christ uh, more than just um, more than just the remedy of sins is valuable treasure, for which everything else in life is to be ha- happily cast aside. This applies not only to whatever good things one uh, that one was and did before, but it also means that his followers will joyfully suffer as he did. They will uh, we will ultimately share in Christ death, and resurrection. Christ, uh, who existed in the form of God, emptied himself of his privileges, divine privileges, as God, and became a human being and a slave. And after this, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, all creatures will bow and confess him as Lord. Now, uh, as far as when the book, uh, um, when the events of this book, it was uh, from A.D. 49 to 61. See, uh, Paul first preached in Philippi on his second missionary journey, arriving there in about uh, A.D. 49. And he wrote this letter to the church while he was imprisoned. And according to Christian tradition, he wrote from his uh, two-year imprisonment in Rome while he was waiting to appear before the emperor. Now, Philippians is part of uh, uh, chapter 5 of God's story. God spreads the kingdom through the church, uh, which we understand. And obviously, Paul. Paul is the writer. And this was written uh, in 61. The letter claims to be written by Paul. And all, all biblical students and scholars accept this testimony. There have been some scholars that have argued that all or part of Philippians 3 was written at a different time than in the main letter. But there's been no Greek manuscript evidence that supports this. Now, according to tradition, Philippians is one of the uh, four prison epistles written from Rome. And in the 20th century, some scholars actually argued that uh, many travels implied uh, in the letter make better sense if Paul wrote from Ephesus a few years earlier. But again, there's theories, theories, theories. So who was the... um, Who was the letter written for? What was the point? Well, the gospel came to Philippi on Paul's second missionary journey. And this was the first church Paul planted after his Macedonian vision because Luke was an eyewitness uh, of the founding of this church. And a great deal is known about the individuals who made up the original core of the congregation, such as Lydia and the city jailer. Paul did uh, not Stay um, in Philippi very long, and but Luke emptied uh, Luke himself probably stayed behind as a church spiritual leader. And I think that would be pretty amazing. Um, I mean, that would be amazing, and um, to have Paul, I mean, have uh, Luke as as a spiritual leader. Can you imagine? Well, I would be asking him a million gazillion questions uh, if it was me. And keep in mind, people say all the time, well, Paul didn't like women. And Paul didn't want women leadership. That is wrong, oh, pal. That is wrong, 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 wrong. Lydia is mentioned in the New Testament of the Bible in the book of Acts. Seminarians, you need to know this. Not in the book the uh, Philippians. So that's important. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14 through 15, Lydia is described as a woman from the city uh, who, who was a worshiper of God. She is said to be a dealer in purple cloth, which uh, was a luxury item at the time. Lydia was present when the Apostle Paul and his companions visited Philippi. And she is known for her hospitality. She opened her home to Paul and his companions, providing them with a place to stay during their time in Philippi. So many, many scholars say that uh, she played a very large leadership role uh, in uh, in the church uh, in, in Philippi, which is pretty interesting. Now, for those of you who don't know, Philippi was an important commercial city uh, in the province of Macedonia. Um, The city had a a privileged uh, status as a colony of Rome, so its citizens were uh, considered uh, citizens of Rome. And according to Acts, uh, there were evidently not enough Jews in the city to support a synagogue. So the city and the church were primarily Gentile. And while Paul was imprisoned in Rome... The Philippian church had sent him a financial gift, perhaps to assist with his living expenses or his legal fees. And, uh, and there was a, a leader, um, uh, and well, the leader was with Paul. He had experienced a near-fatal illness. And the Philippians had received word of this, and Paul had learned that they were gravely concerned about this leader in the church. And at last, uh, however, uh, the leader had recovered, and Paul was ready to send him back home. So he took this occasion, therefore, to write the Philippians a thank you letter in which he complicated their leader and brought them up to date on his own missionary, on his ministry. So that's, that's really what it's for. Now, uh, righteousness, humility, gratitude, uh, those are all themes in this particular uh, epistle. M- most biblical students agree that chapter 2, verse 6 through 11 is a hymn about Christ, which Paul was quoting, probably something that he himself had composed earlier. A number of poetic features appear there. There's a, a, a six stanza hymn in which um, stanzas one through three focus on the humiliation of Jesus. And then stanzas four through six focus on his exaltation. It's, kind of, it's actually quite beautiful. Uh, the, the structure of this letter is less formal than than is usual for Paul. Chapter 1 is personal. Chapter 2 teaches humility. And then chapter 3 deals with uh, true righteousness. And then, of course, chapter 4 uh, contains Paul's thank you note. Uh, so a little bit of some more f- um, uh, final notes on this particular uh, epistle. It really is considered to be one of the most encouraging epistles for those under trial. And remember, uh, the, the Apostle Paul did not write uh, to the Philippians to address a crisis here, like he did with other letters. Like, again, he wrote to express the appreciation and, and the affection uh, for the believers in the church of Philippi. And and the, remember, the book begins with Paul des- uh, describing his imprisonment and the situation in Rome. He is under a house arrest. While writing this and three other epistles, and he explains that he believes he will be he will be delivered, and goes on to encourage the church of Philippi to live lives worthy of the gospel, and uh, and then of course thanks them again for the gift that they did. So, okay, yeah, not the Philippines, yeah, Philippians. All right, uh, Colossians. Okay, Colossians. Let's get into that uh, into that particular epistle. All right. Are you, I, I know that um, there's nothing really to follow because I just give you Cliff Notes version of these particular books. So, well, an epistle uh, an epistle is a letter, a written communication. Typically, it's uh, of a formal or personal in nature. Uh, it's often addressed to uh, a specific individual, group of people. In this case, and so, and by the way, epistles can be found in various forms of literature, including religious texts, which we know. Uh, literary works, historical documents, and so that's uh, that's what epistles are. Okay. Uh, in uh, Colossians, uh, the, t- key, the key word here is preeminence. Preeminence. Colossians declares the supremacy of Christ in all things, whether of creation or redemption, and this teaching was the cure to a deadly heresy. Facing the early, uh, the early church at this time, and that I'm telling, you, there was a lot. There was a lot of of uh, heresies going on because they were trying to figure it out themselves. They were learning as well, so Paul was very important, played a part. Very uh, preeminence is a term used to describe a position of uh, superiority or excellence. It signifies uh, being um, uh, at the forefront. Uh, or surpassing others in a particular field or area. It implies having a notable advantage, uh, a distinction over or other, other like uh, exceptional qualities or achievements. Um, if I were to summarize this particular epistle, I would say that Jesus Christ is supreme Lord of the universe and the head of the church, and therefore he is the only one through whom forgiveness is possible, making legal obligations or philosophical studies irrelevant in matters of salvation. Now, why did Paul write this book? Well, Paul wrote uh, the Colossian Christians to combat a very dangerous teaching known only through his criticism of it in this letter. Although he condemned this heresy, his main approach was to exalt the person of Christ and to urge the Colossians to give up anything that denied Jesus his preeminent position as Lord. Okay. Um, No, in my opinion, no Bible book more explicitly teaches that Jesus is fully God. I mean, Paul was self-consciously an agent of divine revelation in this book. And so God is the father of Jesus. And his fullness is in his son. Uh, Jesus is especially the firstborn Colossians, chapter one, verse 15 through 18 is the most elevated passage in Paul's letters presenting the identity of Christ. So when Jesus returns, his people will appear with him in glory. Now, because Colossians was first written to stop false teachings, it shows just how easy it is for people to be led astray from the truth, particularly in matters of eternal destiny. In every age, powerful enemies of truth oppose genuine understanding of God and the human condition, so apart from Christ, all all, all are dead in trespasses. In chapter ten, verse, uh, chapter uh, two, verse thirteen, and then Paul says Christ brings new life and transformation of relationships, particularly within the home, in chapter three, verse eighteen. So, any understanding of salvation, which is Jesus plus, Paul says, is defective. So good works, keeping Jewish law, accepting certain philosophical principles, and other positive human accomplishments cannot add anything to what Jesus has already achieved. Therefore, Paul says salvation is a matter of being rightly related to uh, to him by faith and refusing to trust anything else. And uh, Christ is obviously a, a, a focal point here. Christ is creator of all things, whether visible or invisible. And now, the events that, uh, when this took place, as far as the date would be um, from AD 53 to 61. Paul had never been to Colossae. Uh, The gospel had evidently gone there uh, from Ephesus, where Paul lived during his third missionary journey, um, arriving around AD 53 or so. And he wrote while he was in prison, and Christian tradition is surely correct in affirming that Paul wrote from Rome during the two years that he was waiting for his appeal to come before Nero. Now, Colossians is, is, is a, it's a very powerful book. Uh, I'm sorry, epistle. Uh, and Colossians show that, that, that two kingdoms are in conflict. Uh, on one hand is the domain of darkness into which all humans are born, on the other hand, there is the kingdom of the Son he loves, into which God's people has been transferred. Now, this was written in A.D. 61, and the letter claims to be written by Paul the Apostle. For the, for the past two centuries, but not all, critical scholars have denied that Paul wrote this letter, some. Uh, they have argued that Colossians reflects the issue of a later time than Paul was, uh, was written but, and so some people say that it was written by an unknown later Christian who used Paul's name to bolster his own authority, which did not become a destructive influence. But I, I just, I don't know. The basic arguments is that the false teaching attacked is Gnosticism. Gnosticism is heretical. Uh, and I'll teach that one day. Uh, and um, which did not become a destructive influence until the end of the first century. And, and that uh, that the Christology is too highly developed for Paul. However, in response, there's no proof that the Colossians heresy was directly related to Gnosticism. And the Christology is more exalted uh, than Philippians chapter two verse nine through eleven, which is clearly Pauline. I, I think it's uh, I think Paul wrote it. Uh, now, the uh, the attended audience were the Christians living in the town of Colossae. Christianity became, uh, came to Colossae through the ministry uh, and not, not through Paul. Uh, he was, like I said, he didn't visit there. He evidently brought the gospel uh, 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 a minister while Paul was in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. And Paul had only heard of the Colossian believers. So here's what happened the, the false teachings mixed Jewish and Greek elements. It suggests that the believers were probably from both Jewish and Gentile backgrounds. And, and Colossae was a very, uh, it was an unimportant town in the province of Asia, uh, in uh, in the Lycus River Valley, about a hundred miles inland from Ephesus. Uh, it's better known as as a sister city. So while Paul was imprisoned in Rome, uh, Epaphras had uh, had visited him, and brought news about the church in the Lycus River Valley, and Paul had learned from him about the presence of false teachers. In the Colossian congregation who were threatening the survival of the church there. He therefore wrote this letter evidently with the secretarial assistance of Timothy. And uh, then sent his carrier. Now this is one of the four letters called the prison epistles. Uh, It's written while Paul was waiting to appear before the emperor. Now careful uh, readings show the relationships. Uh, Colossians and Philemon were both sent to Colossae. And Colossians and Ephesians were carried also by his carrier. Ephesians reflected a theological development of Colossians. And all three of these were probably written long after uh, Paul arrived in Rome. So uh, the, uh, the theme of, the, uh, of this particular uh, epistle, or the themes, I should say, not just themes, uh, is multiple. And I would say um, firstborn fullness and freedom. So Jesus Christ is the firstborn over all creation, as well as the firstborn from the dead, showing that he is supreme over all creation, supreme over the church. So therefore, he, furthermore, he is the fullness of the Godhead. Because of Christ's death, Christians are free from human regulations. And that the nature of the Colossian heresy must be inferred by Paul's attacks. The essential falsehood, so this is what, this is what was taught for those of you who are like, well, what was the heresy? What was the heresy? The heresy that was being taught in the Colossian church was that Jesus was a created being, someone less than God, but more than human. Uh, and there was a certain emphasis on Jewish elements, one, the legal restrictions concerning circumcision, diet, and holy days, two, the veneration of angels, uh, and there were also Greek elements: self-denial, adherence to philosophy and human wisdom, emphasis on secret knowledge, Gnosticism. The Colossians were right to be called under the spell, because it certainly they, they, it appears that they certainly act, they they particular they they acted that way. But there was so much confusion and integration of different elements in cultural beliefs. So the reason that the Colossian church at this time was trying to mix Greek philosophy with Christian theology, it's not possible. You can't, because then you have multiple gods. The result was called Gnostic philosophy. And among other things, it was taught that the physical world was pure evil, and that Jesus was just a spirit and not a man, so uh, that's the obviously that was the problem they were they were de- denying the humanity of Christ and uh, Paul begins his book by defending the authority of Christ and warning against spiritual practices which are not of God and he tells the people that Jesus is divine and they were starting to say that, uh, that many people say today that he was simply a great prophet and a teacher and there are other paths to contact god in chapters three and four he teaches the people about love he feels if they put on the love of christ they will stop getting distracted by false doctrines and he teaches believers how to live at home how to manage family matters and how to get along with other believers in christ it's a very important uh, a very important letter and that is why paul had to i mean he had to deal with this and if he didn't, uh, that it could have completely destroyed the church. Uh, completely destroyed him. And that's why. So I encourage you, if you have not read them, if you have not read the epistle, do yourself a favor and read it. And one day I am going to be doing a presentation on the on heresies. Because a lot of people, we talk about her- heresy, well that's heresy, that's heresy. Well, I think we need to understand uh, what is it. And, uh, what, what does that mean? Because a lot of people may not know that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I mean. So, okay. So, sorry, someone's saying, me message on messenger. Okay. <clears throat> let me say it like, let me say it this way. Um, so here's the deal with uh, the, the Colossians. Heresy refers to beliefs or teachings that deviate from what is considered orthodox or accept doctrine with a particular religious community in the co- in the context of the Colossian church, there were indeed instances of heresy uh, that the apostle had to address in the letter one of the, again one of the main heresies that Paul had to confront was a form of uh, well a heretical which involved blending elements of various religious uh, and philosophical beliefs with Christian teachings like uh, the Greek teachings of, of Zeus uh, or the belief of Zeus and, and multiple uh, you know, Greek gods. Some members of the Colossian Church were introducing additional practices and ideas that undermine the centrality of, the, of Christ and the faith. They claimed that spiritual fullness could only be attained in the Colossian Church. That's what, this is what they were teaching, that spiritual fullness could only be attained through secret knowledge. Or, or ascetic practices, or, or the worship of angels—that uh, one of that, again—that's a problem. Uh, Paul vehemently de- opposed these false teachings, emphasizing the the sufficiency and preeminence of Christ. He proclaimed that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the Creator, sustainer of all things, the head of the church. Because what they were doing is, uh, at the church, they were putting angels above Christ. And he encouraged the Colossians to hold firmly to their faith in Christ, avoiding human traditions and philosophies that distract them from the truth. And Paul even warned against what's called legalism, uh, that the belief following a set of religious laws or rituals is necessary for salvation. That was a part of the Holiness Code, the 613 laws. The Holiness Code, Paul was saying no more. He emphasized that believers are justified solely Uh, By faith in Christ, not by adherence to uh, external rules or regulations, which that was the hope. And it's true. And to combat these heresies and restore the Colossian church to sound doctrine, Paul encouraged them to be rooted in Christ. To be built up in him and to remain steadfast in their faith. He exhorted uh, them to study and follow the teachings of the apostles to live in unity with one another and to let the love of christ guide their actions and relationships and not secret knowledge or angels and that was a, a big problem so hopefully that helps a little bit okay so do you uh, let's uh do you guys have any questions uh and we can if you have questions about faith that's fine if you have questions about um or any, if you have any questions, we're going to open it up to everybody. But before we do, I'm going to say goodnight to those folks on Spreaker. But I'll stay with you guys. I'll stay here. So... <laughs>